Coming up, it's Philosophy Talk. Stephen Colbert, thanks for joining us. Thank you, John. This is indeed a great day for Harlem, a community too long ravaged by drugs and violent crime. Cities, gentrification, and inequality. Not a great day for everybody. I understand that some people are upset about the attention, the gentrification of the neighborhood. Cities are where America's huddled masses huddle. I'm not sure if you heard what I said earlier, John. Uh, quote, Harlem is a community too long ravaged by drugs. And this part is a direct quote, John. Violent crime. Should we abandon our cities or renew our cities? Isn't urban renewal just a euphemism for neighborhood destruction? The community has undergone a massive renaissance. Frankly, I, I think you're being a little bigoted. Yes, but a little goes a long way. Our guest is Frederick Stout from the Stanford Program in Urban Studies. Cities, gentrification, and inequality. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, cities, gentrification, and inequality. Throughout history, cities have been major centers of commerce, creativity and culture. Places where classes and races mingle and mix. Places where the young go to live their dreams and expand their horizons. But beginning in the 1960s, many once great American cities began to empty out as the middle and upper classes fled. They were looking for the comfort and security of the suburbs. The middle-class flight from our cities often meant dwindling tax bases, decaying infrastructure, dysfunctional schools, and an isolated urban underclass. In recent decades, some American cities have begun to rebound through the process of gentrification. In this episode, we'll look at the phenomenon of gentrification through the lens of philosophy and ask whether gentrification is, on balance, a morally and socially good thing or a morally and socially bad thing. Well, Ken, there's certainly a great deal to be said in favor of gentrification. It helps make cities vibrant again. It means increased property values, greater economic diversity, safer neighborhoods, and better schools. Who doesn't want that? But John, at least in the popular imagination, the problem is that gentrification too often happens on the backs of the less well-off. Especially, people think, when developers have free reign to turn affordable rental properties into unaffordable condos. That, that doesn't increase economic diversity, if that's true. It just displaces the less well-off in favor of the more well-off. Well, it's clearly a delicate balancing act, Ken. To manage gentrification in a way that's economically, socially, and democratically sustainable. Well, you know, I haven't done any surveys, so I don't really know what the facts are. But here's something I, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if in most cities the process of gentrification was heavily weighted toward the interest of developers on the supply side and toward the taste and needs of, the, of well-to-do consumers on the demand side. I really very seriously doubt whether the interest and needs of the less well-off play much of a role in determining what gets built where. Well, aren't you cynical, Ken? But you're probably right about all that. At least you may be right. As philosophers, we should really be more interested in the normative question of how gentrification ought to work rather than the empirical question of how it, in fact, is working. Uh, that means asking questions like, should the free market alone determine what gets built where in our urban landscape? 
Or should urban development be subject to political control? Now, off the top of my head, it seems like it needs to be a both-and rather than an either-or, John. I mean, if you let the free market reign, the cities would only be filled with the well-to-do. They'd be nice places to visit, but most people couldn't afford to live there. If you ignore the demands of the marketplace, you get landlords who don't see any return in investing in their properties, though. And you get urban decay. That might make cities more affordable for the less well-off, but it will also make them places that the well-off will want to avoid. Well, John, we've done a good job of raising some questions and issues. Now I think we need to turn to someone who actually has some answers. That would be our guest, Frederick Stout. He's lecturer in the Urban Studies Program at Stanford University and the editor of The City Reader. And whether you live in the suburbs, in Exervia, or in the heart of downtown, we want your help, too. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, takes to the streets to find out what gentrification means in her own backyard. She files this report. Gentrification is a loaded word. They let us minorities mess up a neighborhood and bring the property value down so then they could come in and buy it for hella cheap. They buy up all the property and then they rebuild. Exactly, and they charge and then they don't let none of them move back in. It's kind of one of those things that it's good until it gets bad. I think when it's defined as that sort of class push, it's a bad thing. When it's defined as community improvements to a neighborhood, then it can be perceived as a good thing. It's good until the too many strollers and high-end fancy thrift shops show up and then it's a problem. It's happening in this neighborhood. We notice it. We're not dumb. I live in the North Oakland neighborhood of Temescal. What was once a working class, largely black neighborhood is now loaded with young white students and families. New businesses have moved in, like an organic sorbet shop where you can buy a small scoop of satsuma mandarin or coconut kale for $3. Can I try the beet lemon? There's a place that sells chicken sandwiches you eat outside on old school ironing boards a specialty mac and cheese restaurant, and a hip new cafe that makes a delicious mocha for four fifty. Can I get a cappuccino? The Wall Street Journal called Temescal the new gourmet ghetto. The old gourmet ghetto is just north of here in Berkeley. So I think it's fair to say Temescal is in the process of gentrification. There was a shift, and housing prices skyrocketed. It's no longer an affordable place to live. Jeff Norman has lived in Temescal for 26 years. He's a community artist and amateur historian. When he bought his house back in the 80s, the block was filled with mostly black working class families. He says he'd never be able to afford his house today. Temescal, by the way, means sweat lodge or sweat house, and it was brought by the Spanish colonists to north, what we now know as Northern California, um, from Mexico. It's a native Mexican word. According to Norman, this Oakland, California neighborhood has gone through several transformations. After the San Francisco earthquake and fire in 1906, a large number of Italians arrived. The Italians gravitated toward West Oakland and then eventually to Temescal. And so by the 20s, 30s, and 40s, this was known as the East Bay's Little Italy. The Italians had a thriving business district going. Then in the 50s, a highway was built through the neighborhood, cutting it in two and decimating parts of the commercial district. Before long, the Italians followed the highway out to the suburbs where they could buy bigger houses. And the effect of that was that the African-American community from West Oakland, little by little, moved north and they moved east. So by the time Norman got here in the 1980s, the neighborhood was filled with working-class black families. So it used to be you would have a lot of African-American families living in the Temescal Corridor, and we just don't see that anymore. Nuamaka Agbo heads up a campaign called Soul of the City, that works to develop and improve Oakland without displacing the people who live here. 
She says according to the census, Oakland's black population has decreased by a quarter in the last decade. So who's moving in? Well, me. And also Ethiopians, Eritreans, Koreans, Latinos. And Agbo says that's not necessarily a bad thing. We just have to be careful about it. I think development is good. Um, I think figuring out how we make sure that everyone can participate and enjoy this new rich economy um, and being able to have mixed-use housing again is just really important. Agbo believes there's a way to enjoy high-end restaurants without first removing low-income residents. The trick is figuring out that formula for development. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Ash. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.